So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Mm. Drinking a nice summer pale ale for Doc Talk. Is it round three? I think it's round three. Round three. We're, We're back for it. more documentaries. Got a good lineup this week. Five, I believe. We have. We went hard in the paint. That we did. We also had a bit of a hiatus, so that helped us. We did. Some documentaries, as always, we have first impressions of Steven Soderbergh's The Laundromat, as well as Edward Norton's Motherless Brooklyn. Would you like to start with one or the other? Let's go with Motherless Brooklyn. Just start at the bottom and then get to the top. Let's take a peek. You're webbed up in this somehow, and these people aren't going to stop. If, if, if. You got a head just like mine, always turning things around. Some people call it a gift, but it's a brain affliction just the same. Do you remember what I said? She doesn't know. She doesn't know. What don't I know? All right. We just watched the trailer for Motherless Brooklyn. What do you think? Any thoughts? Looks like a fine play. Um, not too enthusiastic about the film. Interesting story. Seems like it's probably a good book mixed on the movie. Was it a was it an adaptation? I believe it's an adaptation. I, oh, that, I think that's a pretty sure. That could be. Um, yeah, I had kind of gotten wind that it was a little more noir than melodrama, and now I'm getting the sense that it's maybe more so the other way around. Um, New York period piece. I kind of like that setting, that environment. I like Edward Norton. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by the cast. Um, Great cast. Yeah. If, if it hadn't gotten picked up by the New York Film Festival, I don't think I would have been as interested. I just think that they usually have pretty um, promising lineups. Um, so I'm uh, optimistic. Maybe uh, my expectations have cooled a little bit now that I've laid eyes on it. But um, yeah, interesting. Like. It's one of those things that seems like an interesting performance piece, but like I don't think I'm gonna enjoy the movie mm. so much as watching like Willem Dafoe act or Bruce Willis act or Bobby Cannavale act, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. I can be a little weary sometimes of um actors directing themselves. Um yes. sometimes that goes really well. I think Bradley Cooper pulled it off and the Star is born. Also very yeah. good. Yeah. Uh Rafe. Um yeah, um, Orson Welles, I think okay. Ben Affleck is not so good at that. Um, yeah, he's getting farther and farther away from being okay at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't really get the sense that it feels like a vanity project, which is a, a good thing, I think. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. On to the greatest film of the year's trailer, Steven Soderbergh's The Laundromat. <laughs> First, you must ask yourself... Are you wealthy? Super truth of the world is that most games for someone to win. Well, someone has to lose. Bribery, corruption, money laundering, millions and millions and millions of dollars. Somebody has to sound the alarm. Shit. Go Let's. Where the fuck is my money? Most of the time. We don't even know. That is the trailer for the best film of the year, The Laundromat from Steven Soderbergh and Scott Z. Burns. What do you think, Michael? Well, I think I will have to repeat what I mentioned just before we started recording, which is that to me, just like you mentioned at one point, it looks a little bit like one of Adam McKay's more politically mindful films. To me, crossed over with something like a David O. Russell film, mm -hmm. like American Hustle, which isn't one of the kinds of crossovers I'm particularly excited about. To me, it's a little too um, over the top. Um, I prefer usually understatement to overstatement, but for the purposes of satire, that's sometimes exactly what is required. Um, so I'm open to it. Um, I can't say that like it's gotten me more excited than I was before. So excited. Right, right. I was already just like, 
through the roof. What do you so you you're comparing it to The Big Short and to like American Hustle? Yeah, um, why, or some of the really kind of big scenery chewing kind of performances. Yeah. Why not like uh, the informant mixed with like some of the the collage feature he used in like Logan Lucky? Um, haven't seen the informant. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I have not it's seen that one. It's very much like the the shot of Meryl Streep walking that side mm-hmm. shot where there's the buildings that are filled with windows. That's like the same shots that you see in the informant. Got so it. So to me, yeah. it's like it's half informant. It's a lot like the informant, but then they're using that collage feature of the two bad guys. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I almost thought of something like Aaron Brockovich about, yeah. um, you know, the ordinary woman speaking truth to power. Um, although this one being much more satirical, that one being much more kind of straightforward. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it's really like a story that I couldn't tell you much about in the Panama Papers uh, okay. as an event. Like, so I'll have to, you know, kind of like get up to speed beforehand. Um, so I like I can't really like express much of an opinion on what he's doing with it. But um, I mean, hard to not be excited about the cast and who's in it. So um, the fact that you can just stay at home and watch it if you'd like. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um yeah, I think the writer is the same guy who wrote the report, right? That Scott Z. Burns. I believe so. Yeah, um, yeah, he's got a, got a lot coming he's, out. He's uh, he's big at adapting events. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, like socio-political, economic events. Yeah, um, we'll see. On to Doc Talk Part Three, where we start. Any preference? No preference. Lead on, good sir. Oh, how about we start with one that. We had taken off the docket. Hail Satan. Great day to be a Satanist. I believe it and I'm very excited about it. Hail Satan! We're not what you think we are. Satanic Temple was an idea between a handful of people directly confronting authority. Hail Satan. Directed by Penny Lane. That didn't got... Genius, genius title. Great branding. In order to talk about it, you already have to agree with them by hailing Satan. With a question mark. Hail Satan? Mm-hmm. I like this documentary. What about you? Yeah. Um, I like the presentation. I, I think that it, there's room where it could have gone worse. There's room where it could have gone better. It's definitely just like a mainstream, didn't mess it up, well-edited together doc, I guess. Like, and even that, when I say well-edited, I don't so much as like well presented yeah i would agree it never really wowed me never really surprised me i'm the kind of person that if you asked me beforehand what i knew about the satanic temple i would not have been able to offer much i could have told you that they endorsed robert eggers the witch so they were okay in my book otherwise i probably would have thought they were a little loony but i wouldn't have even been able to back that up so for me it was no doubt um informative you didn't know about the uh the issue of church and state being fought at the capitals at all in in the south part of america not by the satanic temple no um no most of that was new to me um and um i think the movie pretty clearly articulates or allows them to articulate what they're about what they believe in um i think most of the people that um we hear speaking i think are pretty sympathetic folks um i think it does a good job of sort of um allowing them to tell it in their own words what they what they are all about um yeah and dig their own graves or grieves or grieves right um yeah it's the kind of documentary that just because it is kind of like so conventional in the format that like i sometimes just feel like i'm just kind of being talk that like i'm just kind of learning it's just an informational there's not a lot for me to like kind of do and engage with it but that's fine i'm okay with you know yeah the occasional talk like this it it kind of felt like a little bit like 60 minutes maybe like because we're we're not like we're hearing answers to questions but we rarely hear penny lane asking those questions mm-hmm. but i do like the like she lets that girl who gets kicked out like dig her own grave like with her mm. words where she's yeah. like god what does she say like we used to stand for something, but now, like, you can't even, you know, push the whatever. And she's, like, calling for the assassination of the president yeah. at an organized function. Like, what? She got a little excited. <laughs> I, yeah, 
Well, I mean, you kind of expose that crazy people go to institutions. That's what it exposes. You know? Yeah. Because that's yeah. what they're criticizing is the bad parts of these other institutions. Yeah. And then we get to see them have their own terrible person at their own institution. Yeah, which <laughs> in a way that actually was a surprise because that's after we've seen a handful of interviews with her where I thought she was she seemed pretty level-headed and articulate and yeah. um, not uh, interested in assassinations. So I was like, wow, she is really into it. Yeah. Um, so that was actually a decent um, little twist, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, for for anyone who, you know, doesn't know a thing about them and, like, wants to know what they're all about, I think they would probably be surprised by what they hear um given like you know what what anyone might presume the satanic temple is the satanic temple is all about um the tst yeah but i i also wouldn't um rush out to recommend it to people unless you're just you know specifically interested in knowing exactly yeah what I mean, the temple is doing it's an easy watch if you want to watch an easy documentary yeah on a, on a weeknight or whatever it's something fine while you cook dinner yeah yeah you'll learn stuff you'll get the gist you don't need to see the whole thing to get it i think that um i do like the the camera work that i saw from penny i think that maybe she's not that interesting of a documentarian but maybe would be a really interesting cinematographer Mm. um she had a really good eye um during like some of the speaking engagements and stuff for what she was Mm. capturing and how she was shooting like the like she had the frame exactly where it needed to be and it's a dynamic environment where like you can't predict what's going to happen and she was always like really well centered and perfect focus getting lucian and the surroundings in these moments whether it's with the governor or whatever yeah and i thought that, that was pretty spot on especially the way that um she shot the what is that the live streamed event of when they put the ten commandments back up and he was yep. talking into the facebook live stream and like how that whole interaction went like that that stuff's really hard to do in such a dynamic environment that isn't pre-planned. I think that she'd be a cool person to see the cinematography of moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. All the, yeah. Very coherently shot. Um, I liked some of the archival footage of, you know, when they're talking about, you know, the Christian myths and they're pulling clips from like, you know, movies about Adam and Eve. And I'm wondering what movie is this? So, you know, whenever you show me a clip and I'm so curious to know what could that be from a cartoon of the Garden of Eden. That was one, but there was also a live action one, right? Where a the girl's, we see a live action version of, you know, a woman playing Eve going to take the apple from the tree. Um, and I, you know, I'm always intrigued when a, when a clip sparks my interest and I want to know like what the source 1950s. is film from yeah. hollywood yeah know, yeah that post-world war ii era where we had a return to our to our roots yeah the which, which this Lewis talks about wandered. a decent amount yeah yeah um in terms of the institution itself i think i was pretty sympathetic to the cause overall yeah. um i the only like question it kind of left me with was for so much of the documentary they're talking about you know, the phrase they use is religious pluralism. That's what they're interested in defending. And at the same time, I guess I felt like if that were really true and they really saw the value in faith and everyone having a faith that everyone else can respect and, um, you know, allow for. It would be then, less angry. Well, then, the, then there's no reason why, like, anybody in the satanic temple might belong to a religion, right? It could, it should be a, a group of people then from all different religions who are interested in respecting each Pluralism. other's opinions. Liberal exactly. Yeah. But that's not really the case. Like, most of them describe themselves as some form of atheism, right? So it's really, to me, it sounds more like they're just anti-religion. They're usually talking about reason over faith and not, you know... Um, turning to superstition so i wondered if there was something like if maybe they need to like reframe it as because anti-religion like there might be value in that uh uh message right um well i mean there's the other thing is like there's a few different schools of atheism now you know like there's christian atheism which is just a group of people that don't believe any claims that are factual in the bible they just find mm -hmm. value in the general narrative and story as 
as they see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then there's like agnostic atheism. And so I, I think that the, the problem with the satanic cult is that it's directly contrarian. And mm. in being directly contrarian, it is always going to be limited by the institution it is going to war against. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is kind of by definition, like, reactionary. Yeah. Right? And it has to, <laughs> I think they it say has that. to they kind of own whatever it. it's criticizing. Yeah. Yeah. In order to have any weight. It's like yeah. in order yeah. to be um, a, a person who's a contrarian to American politics, you still have to fall in line with American political systems in order to make any progress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did get some laughs at times where they were kind of poking fun at Christian myths. One guy talking about, you know, Jesus wandering through the desert and the devil tempting him with water. And the devil is really just the guy saying, dude, have some water. Um, you know, yeah. I like it was funny, but at the same time, like, I think it's maybe doing harm to their cause by like ridiculing faith to some extent when they're supposed to be like defenders of all kinds Freedom of faiths. Of yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that just sounds more like anti-superstition, anti-faith. Yeah. I, um, I mean, for a large portion of this, when they're doing those interviews, like it feels like it's just kind of a hurt feelings club. Mm. Like I got my feelings hurt and now I'm on this team because this team's against this team instead of like having a thoughtful criticism of the religions and the value of, of this religion in your institution, they're just kind of self narrating about all of the problems of the other things without any thought about their own choices. Yeah. And I thought yeah. That there, there's a certain short sightedness that's exhibited by almost everyone that isn't Lucian. Yeah. But yeah. I think Lucian knows exactly what he's doing. And I think that he's a branding genius. Like, mm. like it's absolutely clever to, to use the word Satan and then not actually believe mm. in Satan at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I did find him a very uh, sympathetic figure. Um, not vain in, in any way. It didn't feel like this, um, like i i just i just believed everything he he had to say yeah no, um, he was sincere yeah yeah no doubt um but uh you know i i almost just could have used you could always use more of this or that in any documentary like any subjects probably bigger than any one documentary but um yeah like i'm just kind of curious about those members that you were just kind of talking about who are probably the fringe ones you know who are um they're fringe well I, you know maybe um, you know, just attracted to it for different reasons. Like, uh, I think most of the people that we saw attracted to this group were not exhibiting like normal, typical behavior. You yeah, know, like they're they're somewhat atypical. They're they're non-conforming group yeah. to some point, and they're just going to a group that is a group of non-conforming people. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like high school. Maybe it's just that, like, once you see a Wiseman, you kind of want everything to be a little Wiseman, right? Like, you kind of want to see that whole night from start to finish where the girl does start talking about the assassination and just start to see, but like, how many other like, people... you don't want to watch that stage for that long where she's, like, it's true. pouring fake blood and there's, like... Yeah. Yeah. It's not really a problem. It's, like, you can always want more of one the, thing or the another. The interesting point was um, someone made a, made a point that atheism lacks rituality which is um really important to them and so to them the satanic Mm. cult was ritualism with atheism and i thought that was Mm. interesting because there is something to Mm. that as far as our species like needing a ritual needing a totem um needing some sort of community to gather around because atheism is known as you know basically just a bunch of guys with their noses buried in books like not really you know, it's just, there's no community to be had in atheism. Yeah, yeah. Some of them, I think, literally describe that as, like, boring, right? Yeah. The guy with the bow tie says, like, yeah, I believe in all this. It's also just fun. Um, I, yeah. I mean, it, it is boring post-Christopher Hitchens to be an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think it's a solid doc. Any yeah. other any other closing thoughts? Uh, really just hail Satan, no question. As far there as you I'm go. Concerned. Hail Satan. Doing doing the Lord's work down there. What's the next one? Where do you want to go? We got an array of options. Keeping people on their toes. Where are let's we going? Go, what, let's go American Factory. 
Where you sit today used to be a General Motors plant, and now there are over 1,000 employees working here. Is this a union shop? It is our desire to not be. Let's go to the okay. other high-budget streaming clean-looking flick. It is a very clean-looking flick. Very polished. This is the first um, effort from the production um, president and first lady, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. This is their first project in their collaboration with Netflix. I'm um, familiar with them. This is about... Jeez, you... Is it you? God, what's the... It's not Huawei. What's the name of this glass oh, company? Oh, Fuyao. Fuyao. It's the Fuyao Glass Company. Um, we're in Ohio. Reusing and um, getting American workers to make glass um, for a Chinese company so that they have a distribution and manufacturing center in America. Um, Reverse outsourcing of a kind. So what... Uh, where you want to start? I thought it was a really interesting doc. Um, a little bit more. Actually, I think I was about to take words from your review. Didn't you say it was part Wiseman, part something more conventional? Yes. Didn't you say something along those lines, which I totally agree with, right? There is a lot of downtime where we're just in this factory watching people, um, you know, with some mixture of the talking heads and interviews and that kind of thing. Um, but I thought it was really interesting. Um you know, as sort of a, a microcosm of um, culture clash and um, uh, what that looks like in terms of, uh, you know, a, a global economy. Well, um, is, I mean, this is a documentary that kind of elaborates conversations we had earlier during our, our Chinese film episode. Yeah. When yeah. I was talking about, like, the Americanization of China. Now we're seeing China come to America. And, you know, they've been doing this... Um, but behind larger companies for a long time, you know, they've been investing in the, uh, the Pacific shoreline with, uh, parent companies. So like, if you go down to Seattle and there's a company that owns land, the owner of that company mm-hmm. often all the way down along our coastline. And then they're building the Silk Road 2.0 from, um, Asia all the way to the Southern border of Europe, if I remember correctly. So they've bought port cities and they're, they're rebringing them up so that they can have imperialistic dominance so all of a sudden we're seeing a giant go from, you know, non-imperialism to total imperialism to the point where, like, they're employing our disenfranchised Ohio residents. It's a fascinating documentary. Yeah, um, yeah. In that retrospect. Yeah. To me, it felt pretty even-handed. Um, there are times in which I feel like it's sort of... Um, leads to some admiration for how the Chinese... Um, can be so uh efficient in what they do right and we and we see a lot of these american factory workers also be quite impressed and just awestruck also maybe a little scared um uh well at the same time you know you see the you know uh safety standards are start to fall and that's and that's scary um and you know i think it really see safety standards that were good uh, to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> you say they started the fall. I don't know that they were ever in a good situation. Right. Well, I mean, I guess it is a dangerous workplace no matter what. Um, but, you know, right from the very beginning, before we even get to the factory floor, you know, there is this scene where the CEO wants a fire alarm moved, right, for aesthetic reasons. Yes. And people said it's for safety reasons. And he can barely understand the rationale for that. I think that's a very nice little um, clue as to, you know, w- these competing values, right? Um, I, I take your fire alarm and I raise you a large garage door for the shop. Oh, right, right. Where he says it's facing the wrong direction. Right. What does he want it to do? He wants it to face east instead of south. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's particularly interested in sort of the pomp and circumstance of, of the factory opening. Um, he's an interesting character, no doubt. Yes. Um. He, he, I mean this as non-disparaging as possible. He kind of reminds me of like a Kim Jong-un character. A little bit. 
There is something about the the ego. Um, yeah. Is even in that scene where he says, or they say, "What if it rains?" And he says, "It won't rain." Just thinking the world will, uh, you know, bend to his whims or something um, is is odd. He, he he makes a few like just insane claims where he's like, "We don't need to worry about safety standards like at all." It's like, well. <laughs> wait till someone loses an arm or something yeah but then he'll he'll say get them out of here they're, they're still going they didn't unionize so i mean maybe i'm wrong <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i mean it was interesting to me that like it was wiseman-esque and yet like i don't really think of something like monrovia as having tonal shifts really like it's kind of a singular tone in a way because it's so kind of consistent whereas this one maybe it just has to do with like the score and kind of the combination of things but like for me it felt kind of optimistic at first um cautiously um and i think that starts to kind of dissipate a little bit as um things unfold um and then i think the ending is I don't know how I'd characterize the ending yet. Um, I, I don't think I would say hopeful. I think I would say a little concerning. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I I do think that you're right. I, I would say that Wiseman does have beats, though. And I think that, like, when I think of, like, Monrovia, Indiana, I think that the community gathering where they talk and that one gal is, like, just overtly racist passively, that's, yeah. like, a big beat. Another big beat is the live music where, like, no one's there. Um, yeah. The sausage, or not the sausage, the uh, the pizza being made, um, the grocery store, and then getting the park bench figured out. Like, yeah. I think yeah. Monrovia has different beats. Like, it's yeah. a pretty consistent tone, but those beats really do vary the tone. You're right. So we're yeah. different pitches. Um, yeah, American Fat, I think that it goes back and forth between, like, this the Chinese idealism and this American idealism where they're like, there, there are places where they meet, but there's places where yeah. like they clearly clash, which are at the bigger things where it's like basic safety standards and the Chinese CEO having no interest in them. And then the hardworking laborers that are, you know, that I really like that relationship that built up between the older gentleman who used to work at the, uh, I think it's the Ford factory and, um, the the Chinese man who I think he signed a three or four year contract to work and live there and at the end we finally see his family come and we we see those photos of when he let them go shooting at his place. yeah like, yeah those are funny it's special it, yeah it's like yeah. it's a really yeah. beautiful friendship that they developed in the place of something like fucking terrible yeah <laughs> yeah 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 there's definitely that contrast between like the the Chinese and Americans getting to know getting to know each other that way by going to each other's houses, going yes. fishing, versus Thanks, yeah, yeah, versus the like they look like classes that the Chinese are like executives are giving to the floor managers about what Americans are. Yes, um, some of which oh, I don't disagree God. with, those but were, those <laughs> were pretty disparaging. My one of my favorites was about how you know we we need encouragement we value compliments and the the analogy he gave was like you need to pet a donkey in the direction its hairs are already going yes which i thought was a very amusing analogy when you brought up the beginning of your point i was like oh we're talking about the donkey (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty funny it's uh yeah yeah they don't think too highly of us Mm -mm. yeah quite apparent yeah which you know, that that back and forth between being kind of optimistic about the experiment working and then that kind of thing leads me to think like, gosh, it's just making it that much harder for these um, people to actually build bridges when they're when these when their ideas are already um, planted beforehand, yeah. um, which is pretty interesting. Um, but I, I, I like that the documentary doesn't lean too far one way or the other in saying that this just isn't going to work. Um, it's definitely not romanticized. Um, I, But it, it uh, I mean, I love that by the end, we kind of, we see everyone we've grown close to that's an American employee get laid off. 
and then we see the CEO being walked through explained how robots are going to take each of these positions. I I love that because it it's like an honest truth of what we're looking at by 2030. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, a nice touch in that it's forward looking, right? Yeah. It's not like uh end of story. Um it it definitely um, I think that is leaves like a mark. one of the maybe one of the things that Obama could have brought to the table is like understanding like what manufacturing looks like on a global scale moving forward because a lot of people that have manufacturing jobs will not yeah yeah i'd love to get his thoughts on the doc yeah yeah i think that <laughs> i'm gonna he, send him a note invite him on the show normally uh requires a little bit of a speed <laughs> i i can imagine <laughs> <laughs> um yeah um any other thoughts this is brief um I think that we just need to make a make a formal um, reach out to the Obama uh, family, see if we can get their thoughts on the documentary. <laughs> I, I think, think that's so. My I'll let you send the note. Oh, I will. I will. I'll send the voicemail. There we go. <laughs> you want to visit Mr. Bob Dylan? Let's visit Mr. Bob. All right. Next up. Netflix documentary. Bob always been searching for something else. I think he liked the chaos. Focus in on that. Life isn't about finding yourself or finding anything. Life is about creating yourself. Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story directed by one Martin Scorsese. Which I don't even, I don't. I, th- I like presented by Martin Scorsese. Right. I'm a little unclear on his involvement in the project. Yes. Cause we never hear him ask questions. We do know that questions are asked of the actual director of the archival footage. So I prefer a presents with this one. I don't know that I trust directed by. It is strange. I don't know who's asking the questions, but it's not him. Right. No. Um, which is odd. And who is um, our, our actual cinematographer? Is it Vaughn? Something like that, yeah. Vaughn something. Um, he's an interesting character. I liked his interviews a lot. Yeah, yeah. Because he he just kind of he feels kind of like a Herzog, you know, like Mm. you don't understand. Everyone else was bullshit. I was I was fighting against everything to give you the footage you have. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Some colorful uh, members of the gang, no doubt. Um. I enjoyed it. I think I'm already cooling on it. I've only watched it. I watched it 12 hours ago. Um, oh, you closed with it. Okay. I did. Um, I just watched this one last night. You we watched it a little while ago, right? I closed with the image book. I watched this right before the image book. Got it. Generally speaking, like it? Not so much? Where are you um, at? I think it's an interesting piece. I, I really don't find that much value outside of the storytelling the cinematographer slash director gives us honestly like i i didn't particularly care for bob dylan's interviews i don't particularly care for bob dylan as a person um that definitely came out during this like you know he he talks about himself in kind of an elitist way Mm. um which really just rubs me the wrong way Mm. (laughs) it's very self-aggrandizing and egoistic See, that's interesting. I think some people say the opposite, right? Like, wasn't he the one who uh, declined the, uh, what prize was it he won recently? Was it the Pulitzer? He won the Pulitzer or the Nobel Prize for Literature. Yeah, for literature. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know all the different opinions. To refuse a world. Like, come on. Rather than just be gracious and say thank yeah. you and yeah. You fair could point. just pull a Glenn close the wife, you know. Didn't see that one. Didn't see that. I did not see okay. the wives. <laughs> uh but yeah, I'm with you there. Um Yeah, I guess some sometimes the footage was just enough for me. I just That's uh, it, though. 
it's the footage. Like, yeah. Do you yeah. care for any of the interviews, really? Not particularly. Besides Sharon Stones, because you're like, Sharon Stone. Right, but like, that's the one I didn't realize until afterwards is was one of the like fictional parts of it, right? Like, I knew going in that there was this sort of blend of fact and fiction to it. Um, and I think I read that the Sharon Stone thing was actually not true. Um, really? Yeah, like... The I listened to interviews with her where she references what she references in the doc, I thought. Yeah, I guess I don't know well enough to know which facets of it are untrue, but I think the article I read said, like, the kiss thing uh, about Bob Dylan getting the idea to wear the makeup because she was wearing the kiss sweatshirt. That was kind of made up um, oh, yeah. for the sake of the sure. doc. Um uh, so for the sake of the doctor, because Bob Dylan wanted to fuck with people, maybe I think I, it's more uh, that Bob mm, wants to fuck with people. Yeah, I guess like I almost feel a little phony saying I kind of liked it because I kind of feel like like I maybe missed the point of what bending the truth to some of this like is for what the purpose was. It, it felt um, like an insincere, like pretentious version of the the mystique that we got with David Bowie and Prince. Mm. It just, I, I didn't read it as honest or, like, meaningful in, like, any mm. way. Like, I, I think that he's a very interesting songwriter. I don't really care for the songs, but I think he's, like, he's important to, to Americana and art and, like, that time period. But, uh, and it's impressive, his tour schedule and everything. But, like, you know, it's just, at the end of the day, what do you really care about? Yeah, it's... <laughs> Kind of interesting how there, you know, are kind of references to the like politics of the day, and he ultimately kind of gets involved in a certain way with that hurricane case towards the end. But otherwise, like, I'm not even really sure like what the documentary is aiming to do by sort of referencing like the time. I mean, I guess it's just kind of grounding it in the era, but it wasn't really like there wasn't that much of a return on investment. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at the same time, I did just really like some of these sequences where we just get for an extended period of time um, shots of them on the bus singing as they go. The, you know, the idea that people are coming and going from the tour just because it's going to work with the act. Um, I kind of like the spirit of the group. And I think the doc kind of embodies that in its form in that it's kind of freewheeling it's kind of um yeah i guess it is a collection isn't it where like certain interviewers come on and then they leave and then that's what it felt like to me like i was kind of just getting swept up in the tour um and learning who was who as i went um at least that helped me except that i don't know who a lot of these people are like names i'm familiar with joan baez and alan ginsburg but um uh you know otherwise i'm meeting rambling jack just when he comes on the screen and that kind of thing um so there was just kind of a vibe to it that i kind of went with but at the same time i kind of felt like i was maybe out of the loop somehow maybe it's that you have to have lived through it or you have to just be more familiar with bob dylan which i'm really or maybe it was more of the time and now it doesn't you know really work um yeah yeah what's your favorite moment um, it's actually maybe one of the Joni Mitchell moments, um, where there's a song she, she says she wrote because she was inspired by the tour. Um, and Bob Dylan and one other guy are playing the guitar, um, along with her, but she's doing the singing. It's just, I don't know where they are. Some random house at some pit stop along the way. Um, but as far as musical moments go, that was one that really just struck me. I was, I was like, wow, this, this woman has talent Joni Mitchell is just incredible um what about you not a music moment um mm. it's when Vaughn I'm just gonna call him Vaughn because I don't mm. know his real name I just know V-O-N um it's it's near the end he's shooting Bob Dylan coming off stage or getting ready to go on stage and Bob goes up the stairs and Bob says something like kind of shitty off the cuff to him and he says, can I please just ask you one question? And Bob looks back at him with just this scathing, like, you're an insect look. Ooh. As he, like, straps his guitar on him and, like, starts talking to the band members. And, like, he he 
turns back towards them, then he peers back at Vaughn, just like, just like, get the fuck out of here. Mm. And I was just like, that is, that's the moment. Like, that's where you see, like, the the myth meet the man, where it's like, how sincere are we pretending this guy is, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that one stings a little bit. Yeah. Because it, it's, it, and then the idea of him doing interviews for the footage that this guy got, and then talking shit about him in the interview for the pro, like, it's just, I don't know. I really came away thinking that Bob Dylan's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a positive takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of like the look they were going for. Maybe that had to do with also like my just having a good time, yeah, right? No, um, cool patina. It did. Yeah, yeah. But it's so fucking long. Two forty. Wait, it, I think it's too long. Um, I I would agree. Um, I checked my watch, no doubt. Uh, just just to see where we're at. Um, oh, but it's still times did you got some stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Take a little breather. Yeah. Um, have some chips. Yeah. Uh. If I was to recommend it to someone, I might first ask them just how familiar you are with Dylan, any interest in Dylan, you know? I mean, I think that's, I don't know, I guess that's the case with any doc, but... Um, Do you like him at all? Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. don't, this won't make you. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Maybe if you're just more in the mood for a concert doc, you just yeah. want to see some of the footage, I would say go for that. Um, I, I think it works for me as just... Steer like if they're already on Netflix, which is what they're probably on, I'd be like, so just do do yourself a favor, go to search, type in F I V E space F O O T space T W O. Watch yourself some Lady Gaga. There you go. <laughs> also a good one for our thoughts on that. Doc Talk Part Two, I, I think. think. So yeah. Uh, otherwise, I don't think I have. Too many more thoughts. You? I don't like Bob Dylan as a person. That's really all I've learned. I like Allen Ginsberg. I he's eccentric and exhausting, but I love his sincerity. He's so yeah. sincere. It's like adorable how sincere he is. I agree. And very present in like every moment. And very repetitive. And um was he the one it was him and someone else who were like major contributors in the first part of the tour and then they cut mm. them in the later part of the tour and they were hauling equipment but they still kept a tight schedule and were working hard and i thought that, that was just so commendable and really spoke to their character in a, in a profound way because like they're better than me like i don't know that i would have done things like that yeah yeah i think you're right i can't remember who that other guy was but uh yeah like that was one of the problems of just inviting other people on stage is that someone else, someone else's time is going to get cut. And yeah. I, yeah, he was one of them. This is also like every band story ever where it's just like people talking shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. No hesitation. No. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's it for me. That's Rolling Thunder Review on Netflix. Where are we going? We going to Honeyland or are we going to the image book? You pick. Let's go to the Honeyland. Honeyland. All right. We watched this one together. Mm -hmm. It's been about a week or so. Six days. I really like this documentary. I think it's only um, improved in my head in the time that's passed since then. What about you? Um, It hasn't really shifted. I still haven't come to terms with it. Um, it's, a, it's an important documentary, I guess is how I would phrase it. I, I think that people that like documentary film should absolutely seek this out. I just don't know how to interpret the fact that it's directed by two people that 
are in extremely intimate moments that they clearly have an observer operant effect in. I don't know what mm. to do about that yet. I don't know what to do about that reality TV factor. Yeah, you know, I think for me it was like striking at first, but I've almost just come around to it in the time since we watched it. Like there are certain shots in it that I think look to me like they were right out of a narrative feature, right? Mm-hmm. Like um when the neighbors first show up and it's kind of a wide shot and you see the main character we're following sort of peeking her head up over the fence, right? It just kind of has this beat of a narrative film where like a character's peaceful existence is suddenly disturbed or upended by, you know, a new character entering the story. Um so I was just kind of struck by how the documentary seemed to be kind of like imitating a feature film in a way in sort of how it looked and felt. And I think I've maybe come around in how it sort of has the feel of almost like a fable to me, um, because I think yes. there is just a lot to it. I think there are some really valuable kind of takeaways from it. Um, which is something I've never really seen the more I've thought about it, like a documentary sort of, uh, putting on the shoes of a feature, um, to, to make a story out of, you know, the, the material it it managed to capture. Um, and I think it just works in a lot of different ways. Like you can kind of focus on it as a story between, um, a daughter and our aging mother between two neighbors um about you know man and nature and the value of like symbiosis with nature um i think i've just found more to it in the time since we watched it i think that those are all great metaphors for what it is i'll have to think about to me at bottom though it's it's the story of the promised land of milk and honey Mm. because the cows because the honey the two things that make the money um, and just the what that does T- to me, those are the underpinnings that bring those metaphors that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think you can't get to milk and honey from the metaphors at first, but I'll have to think about that. But to me, it's just like, it's that biblical story, the land of milk and honey. She lives in the land of honey. She doesn't have the milk. Then they bring the milk, but go. So she's living in the land of honey, kind of in poverty. Then, then this family comes, and they do milk. And then when they start doing honey, and everything's fine at first, and there's no greed, everything's fine. And then greed comes, start harvesting too soon, kills all the honey. They literally steal her honey at one point. Like it's, and then they suffer a pestilence, and it's like. It is biblical in its proportions, but I don't know what to do about those more intimate moments where these filmmakers are there, but they're not acting like they're there. It's mm. not they're the setting isn't a, isn't Monrovia. Like there's there's too few people for you to not have an operant observer impact here. Um, is is my biggest problem. Like I don't know what to do about that. I but I guess I can just assume like. If I can just give them the benefit of the doubt that they've embedded themselves enough, they've been there long enough, they've earned their subjects trust enough um, that they can be in those situations um, and people will be who they are. I mean, but I guess that, that, that right? by the, by the people we're seeing that when you when someone is observing you with the camera, you you are no longer the same person. Right, but I think like that's almost like a thing about documentaries in general, which I completely agree with. Um, uh, I don't know that I felt it more so here than I would have felt that in, um, you know, American Factory or something. I guess maybe I just got so close to uh, Haritza. Hatidza, something like that. Hatidza. Yeah. Um, in some of those moments in her in her home with her mother, like the intimacy that I felt. And then I, I realized that, like, her mom died. And, like, we're presented as if she doesn't have someone to grieve with. Mm. She has someone to grieve with. 
And then, like, I don't know what to do about that. Like, is she performing or is the documentarian not helping her subject? Like, mm. like, how do you not, like, hug and comfort someone whose mother just died? Mm. Like, there's some stuff that I just don't know what to do with the moments here. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't know what to do with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know you'll watch it at some point and i would before the best of the 21st century list making begins but yeah Yeah. you know there are these scenes in camera person where she's in you know small i don't know what country she's in but she's you know in small villages and she's seen something like a a little kid play with an axe right and no one's around it just looks like this kid is about to hurt himself and you hear her kind of mutter under on her breath like geez um like and just by hearing those little cues you hear the documentarian not knowing what to do what is the right thing to do like is there value in like capturing the truth or do you just always need to put humans first right um as, it's it's hard because i think there are moments myself, here you have to always put humans first. right that's that kind of seems like a no-brainer that's my basic tenet yeah that seems like a fundamental yeah, yeah. Limit there, um yeah uh yeah i completely understand i think i think it is uh, tough and that that definitely was i think my initial reaction very similar to what where you're saying now um but uh but something changed what exactly changed as you've had time to chew these last six days i think it's that i've just come to appreciate like the different uh angles from which you can look at it and get something that it's that kind of overwhelms the like instinct i had about like how exactly did this level of intimacy be achieved? Um, you know, like that this works is like, I was so expecting this to be something really sort of narrowly focused mm-hmm. beekeeping in some, in Macedonia. I was like, sounds interesting. I think I will probably forget about it a week later because I cannot relate. Um, and instead I felt like I got something that's sort of like, an allegory for like environmentalism you know the idea that if you're kind to nature nature will be kind to you um that that patience um uh pays dividends um uh, yeah yeah right that's that's the idea leave there are four honeycombs you leave two for the bees you take two you take all four bees die no one has anything um that's like the really simple kind of like takeaway that feels very fable like to me which i think is sort of sort of fits with how it feels like a narrative feature i guess yeah um yeah so that combined with the fact that you could just hone in on it as uh the portrait of a mother and a daughter um trying to make ends meet um with a really unique way of life beekeeping um or you can see it about neighborly conflict and how uh you know it makes seeming like your neighbor having a tree in your yard you know seem fairly minor um that's that's something that's kind of universally relatable right about i don't know I, i just i don't know i think i found a lot there in the time since while i'm still wrestling with the same things that you're talking about so is this your favorite documentary of the year then it is for sure um yeah i was trying to think about any close contender but uh it's probably number one interesting interesting okay there we go what's up there for you i'm forgetting i think i have islam and the future of tolerance at number one yeah um, which is sam harris majid nawaz um it's it's basically just a live conversation where they go over the transcripts of the book that they released together. But I, I, I think I have something ahead of it, and I have the the great no, gosh, what's it called? It's the Brazil one. Oh yeah, yeah, that's still one I want to catch up with. Edge of Democracy. The Edge of Democracy is my number one, actually. That I one I do want to see. Uh, I gave Islam and the Future of Tolerance a higher rating, but I, I still think The Edge of Democracy is the most impressive documentary I've seen. Um, she has, she 
it's basically like it navigates bias, political opinion, and uh, a political coup that is a financial coup um, expertly. And mm. from like like one person removed, she like knows the the previous president of Brazil, mm. and and like watching it from that perspective where like her parents fought the communist or were the communists fighting against the imperialist um brazilian capitalistic agenda in the 60s and 70s and 80s and like that that these people that are now in power had to meet oh man it's it's a special documentary it's a very special documentary i would say it's it's um it's probably comparable to this documentary yeah yeah i I think that they're both on equal footing i just personally don't know what to do with that specific thing the operant observer effect Mm. of cameras in the performative aspect of the children of the the man and the woman um and how they're how we don't see the disciplining of the children and then we see the intimate conversation with the children inside the trailer um it's very hard to figure out what to do yeah yeah i remember when it's really well edited in retrospect though like it, it mm. really has a great pacing when he, remember how we were talking about like you had a hard time with the cows dying oh yeah getting yeah. the disease and i had a hard time when i thought there was a stillborn mm. and when i when i think about it like that stillborn like that set me up for like that foreshadowed and primed me in the perfect way like that was really sharp editing yeah yeah and the way that we keep returning to the beehives where she's taking half and we see her take half and then we see her have nothing and scooping up the dead bees like it is really well edited yeah i mean sometimes letterbox isn't always accurate in this regard but i don't think they have anything else to their name the the two directors who co-directed this i think it's pretty incredible i mean i think it's a a pretty yeah. yeah yeah pretty well done um edge of democracy definitely on my watch list it might have been in that review that I think you said it just felt like the year had been kind of light on documentaries. Mm-hmm. I think I would agree. Um, yeah, I, I really, nothing. really like this, but uh, Minding the Gap kind of skyrocketed to the top of my list last year. Um, yeah. I and when I think, I I think about like Icarus or The Jinx, the, the story of Robert Durst, um, there's just, I, I mean, OJ, mm. you know, like there's just, there's nothing competing and really on the horizon that i can think of um Um, maybe there'll be a surprise strong we haven't done cold caves hammer skull but we're Mm -hmm. i mean those aren't getting that notoriety i do actually think that uh diego madrona Mm, yeah is a is a possible or maradona yeah yeah Yeah. maradona because um that's the director of amy and sienna sienna won awards amy was personally my favorite in 2015 so i think that uh yeah, that'll release on HBO, I think, this next month, actually. Really? I didn't know that. September 28th, I think. More to come. Yeah. Next, Doc Doc. But we have more Docs. Where are we going next? Godard. That's right. To the images. In the books. What's coming? A train! Are we going to ride the train? Orpheus has returned from the underworld. What happened on his long, long journey? Who is this man? We're talking about Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book, streaming on Canopy for folks in the U.S. Yes. Um... There's one thing I learned during this documentary. You and I have excellent taste in classic film. We have moments from Johnny Guitar and we have moments from Solo. Both that we did reviewed this year on the show. Yes, good timing. I, I, I that crossed my mind as well. Um, a wealth of uh, archival footage here, mm-hmm. no doubt. Um, I really enjoyed it. You? Not, not so much. I once I hit the halfway point, I just like was ready to log out zoned out a little bit what uh i didn't zone out but i wanted to (laughs) you would have liked yeah yeah it it was 
like he starts with that railway one and like i'm cool with it and then like i'm just getting exhausted like mm. okay how am i supposed to read this metaphor what do you want from me <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to do why am i still watching this yeah yeah and i um, i was just always waiting for a girl to get tied up to the train tracks Oh yeah, it doesn't happen during segment. the train sequence. Yeah, yeah the stuff like, with trains. You don't even know the best train <laughs> moments, Godard. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, back half was harder for me, particularly like the final third, where I feel like the, that's exactly the, what I'm talking about. The, yeah. I feel like the context really kind of narrows as he kind of hones in on the Middle Eastern conflict stuff. Yeah. Um, where he's, I don't know, there are some names thrown out and places thrown out that I, like I'm just not familiar so with. So are you I'm, familiar with his criticism? politically because i'm not and i read a couple interviews from i think ehrlich and d'angelo where they make overt allusion to the fact that his political beliefs about the middle east Mm. and muslims are extremely troubling Mm. and i just don't know anything about that so i i i don't want to make any claims but like i know that he might have some very what what would we call uh ignorant mm. i guess um beliefs about people from a certain region which he depicts mm. in this film yeah um i didn't even under understand the point well enough to say whether i agree or disagree or, or would argue against any of it but like that's obviously like concerning like i i, I wouldn't just want to like keep praise on it when i when i don't really understand like what he's what, getting at exactly there he's saying. yeah, yeah. But on a formal level, I still got a great deal out of it. Um, uh, more so in the first half, for sure. Um, you know, maybe it's uh, partly to do with the color thing, right? This, I think, color plays a pretty critical role in like what he's doing formally here. Um, uh, my, my friend walked through while I was watching it, and it was during the uh, the ocean scene. Yeah. He said, oh, oh my yeah. god, I've never seen an ocean so beautiful. And I was like, oh, what yeah. the fuck are you talking like, You're like, it's an I, ocean! I think there's, yeah, there's something special to this movie, um, color-wise, that I didn't understand while I was watching it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when he's kind of going back and forth between shots that are, you know, full of these really bright, saturated colors, clearly, you know, having, you know... Did he do that with Modified them. With, oh, with Solo? Um... Yeah. I don't think so, but it's interesting that Johnny Guitar is included because that also is, you know, I remember known for its color. color. Yeah. yeah. Um, really saturated red and yellow outfit on Joan Crawford. And her um, eyes, right? Oh, yeah. I don't remember what color her eyes were, but you can just picture them, yeah. you know? Um, They're like the cover of a movie. Like, yeah. 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 Um, you know, so you'll have these like blinding. Uh, shots of something like an ocean that are gorgeous and then you know the next cut will be to a black and white film um so just kind of that range of color uh with some of these sort of you know you know random musings about truth and cinema and that kind of thing question um what movie is the train movie i don't know um that did not ring a bell um we should watch that movie we should look that up. I'm sure we can find out. Looks promising. Looks really fucking good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Something about uh, that kind of, um, like, you know, image kind of modification. Like, every every image we're getting has been really tweaked in some really dramatic way, color-wise. Coming from the guy who said... Color every time? Uh, well, if you, if you at least... To me, I, I at least felt like so many of these images are not how I look at the world, right? They're either in black or white or these really bright, saturated colors, right? Well, it I feels that, unusual to I me. I thought that he was... So he was manipulating color when he was manipulating aspect ratio. He was manipulating mm. color when he was manipulating timing. Is that true? Um, I thought he was doing sure. like three different things. Like I thought he was messing with timing, messing with aspect ratio, and messing with saturation, contrast, color, whatever you want to Oh, call. yeah. I didn't realize he was doing color during those two. I thought it was three three different facets of examining pictures. 
Uh, I, yeah, I was certainly most honed in on color, but I uh, would not dispute that at all, that there is additionally experimentation with timing yeah. in the aspect ratio. No, I actually did not even realize the aspect ratio changes. Now I kind of want to, like, I can just fast forward and see where he's doing that. You didn't? Um, maybe I was just more uh, struck by There's the color. There's no way you didn't see it. Probably just from the nature of, Dude, like, he the like, clips. He but... goes from to full. Like yeah, he takes yeah. something that's shot in widescreen, bumps it to full screen. It looks bad, and he lets it run for a minute, and then he bumps it back to widescreen, and it looks awesome. Yeah, like there's yeah. no way you didn't see that. Yeah, it it, it was it, it was unconscious at least. Okay, um, you were just so in it. I was yeah, I was definitely yeah. out by then. Yeah, when that starts happening, uh, I was I was starting to lock out. I think we'd already had our first uh, Islamic terror murder by yeah. then, and I was like, okay. Yeah. I don't know what this is about anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, something about this coming from the guy who said, you know, photography is truth. So cinema is truth 24 times per second. Suddenly giving us a movie where every image bears like the marking of its maker. It's it kind of feels like he maybe doesn't believe that anymore. That that that's that cinema does um, res- maybe resemble the truth. But it but it always, you know, is a creation of whoever's behind the camera um so i don't know something something about um you know the the that that kind of nature of cinematic representation um is just what i kind of cued into um but i cannot tie that in any way to the middle east stuff in the back half so i you know it's one of those ones where i feel like phony really defending it because i feel like that's just what i went with you'd have um, to learn french history and then learn his views and then learn what the hell he's trying to say in yeah. order to really have any understanding right <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah it's hard to say uh too much else because for me it was pleasurable mostly as like a sensory experience um it's very much like a it is the closest thing to avant-garde documentaries ever been that I've seen. Mm, yeah, yeah, I would agree. But it, it, there's something... I don't know, maybe... Um, isn't it just kind of cool to like have a filmmaker walk you through his favorite moments in film? Oh, that's great. Level? Like That's, that's, that's why I, I like yeah. the first two thirds, because it's like, he's just picking like his favorite moments and like showing them to you, and you're like, yeah, there is something special here. Yeah. There really is something special. But he didn't include that one 46-minute short film about time travel from France. What's that shit called? Oh, yeah. La Jete? Yeah, he didn't include yeah. La Jete. And I was like, what yeah. the fuck, man? Come on. <laughs> God, how did he miss that one? Uh, yeah, yeah. All of that in the first half um, intermingled with, you know, some of the documentary footage that sometimes is just like, like the girl at the train station kids at the beach you know some of that doesn't doesn't well i was about to say it doesn't feel political i'm sure he he would say it is political um but it also just feels that just feels human to me um yeah i certainly uh leaned more into that than uh other stuff yeah yeah maybe we'll try to see if there's an article that can shed any light on what exactly is happening because it's, yeah. it's david ehrlich and i think mike d'angelo that, that made those points and i've heard those points made earlier i've just i never got into godard enough to do my research i just yeah. i have a hard time thinking that like a friend of agnes varda mm. is like going to be a morally deplorable person but mm. you know europe is different and varda <laughs> has a huge heart so yeah yeah uh yeah gotta read more doc talk part three in the can (laughs) run go get to the chopper we have to go i'm coming with you that was brilliant